Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel comics on sale March 29th, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for marzipan. I think I've had marzipan before. Really? What is it? It's so it's so good. What are you talking about? It's, it's what your namesake is from. How do you not know what it is? Fair, fair enough. Uh, yes, I love marzipan. It is the best. But this is not just a show about marzipan. No, this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we give you some details and reasons to pick up a bunch of great comics every week. We'll give you our three personal picks of the week. Uh, actually, there's four this week. Again, we did four last week. We're doing four this week. Don't at me. It's fine. Uh, and then we'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week using a quote pulled from one of this week's comics. We'll give you uh, one of our highlights of that issue, sometimes more than one highlight. Plus, we'll run through some new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited, highlights from issues new to MU this week, and some picks for collections on sale. Plus, we even have a reading club and a guest. What do we got this week? Yes, we are talking to Chris Vasquez, the associate producer over at the Washington Post. He works on their TikTok, so you might recognize his voice if you follow them over there. But we're going to be talking about New Mutants, The Labors of Magic, which covers issues number 25 through 28 of New Mutants by Vida Ayala and Rod Reese. So very excited to dive into that. Heck yeah, but for now we got to get into our picks of the week. And I'm going to kick things off with my first pick of the week. Clobberin' time. Number one. Y'all, I was so excited for this. This has been, I think we initially solicited this like way back in the beginning of 2022. It is a long time coming. I'm gonna say it was worth the wait. Uh, So this is written and drawn by Steve Scrosh. Uh, with colors by Brian Valenza and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Now, Steve is a name that I hold near and dear. I fell in love with Steve's art in the 1990s on Cable and then, uh, of course, on X-Men. And then he did some amazing Spider-Man stuff and some more. Um, and then, uh, but this, this is Steve's first Marvel series since he wrote and drew the Blood Debt Wolverine arc uh, in 2000. Um, that was issues 150 to 153, which I remember back in those days, we were still not collecting everything all the time, but that, that got a collection because it was so good. It's gnarly. If you've never read it, go read it. Wolverine 150 through 153, but like then he dipped out of comics. And in the last 20 years, um, he's been working a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot with the Wachowskis working, um, as a, uh, storyboard artist and working in film in various different ways um also doing some other comics just not for marvel um continues to be just an incredible storyteller and actually you know steve's art and style has kind of changed a a bit since those 90s and in the early 2000s as comics work um but kind of even cooler now and more detailed and more textured and grittier than he even was back then um man steve rules but so this we dive into this um, and we, we open up the book where we've got one, this big opening splash page of a like rogue militant looking ro like exiled watcher, uh, who is so cool. There's just this, this neat character design. Um, he's got his giant gun. He's got all this stuff. Um, you know, you look at this opening, opening splash of this watcher and there's a, a sort of Jeff Darrow 
vibe here. Jeff Darrow, obviously like an incredible artist um, who's got this neat, really intense, very detailed style. And I think Steve leans into that a little bit here. Um, but we got this big gun and all this looks. And then it's the thing going up, hanging out with Bruce Banner and Reed Richards and just like having some breakfast offer. When thing offers Banner Rugula, I get so happy. It's just, it's just a, like a little character beat. It, it, it's uh, like a little bit of cultural nodding. It is a little bit of like fun Marvel universe stuff. It is simple, but it's so effective. And then you get swooped up into this wild villain who's got this mix of Iron Man and Doom armors. Um, you, you know, you, you, you say swooped up, but like really the way that this starts is probably the most hilarious part of this issue. It's like this villain just kind of walks into the room that they're all sitting in eating and he's just like, uh oh, busted. Like he's clearly stealing something from the Baxter building and he's like, oh no, by Ben Grimm and Dr. Bruce Banner, no yeah, less. Like, I'm speechless. <laughs> uh. I see. I read it more like, oh man, this is so cool. Yeah. But like, sorry, it, it was, it's so fun. Uh, and then like they have this little fight, but the dude, like the, the villain is like, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, seriously, bye. And it, like teleports them to this wild different world. He teleports uh, Ben and Bruce to this planet and you just get them like there's just so much world building and so much character stuff that happens in such a short period of time. It is honestly, it's kind of a flex of Steve just being like, oh, in three pages, I'm going to show you a new villain, a new world, a new like alien species. I'm going to give you two Marvel mainstays, give them a connection that you didn't know that they had before. All of this immediately. It's so damn good. Uh, and then you, you get to see Steve really like also not just his design skills and his world building and all the art. He's so good at writing their their dialogue and their banter. There's so much ribbing in this book between Hulk and and thing they're just like constantly making fun of each other because like they're kind of frenemies right you know they they will beat the crap out of each other at the drop of a hat but know that they're both kind of like all right on the same side uh your up crack face was one that like just cracked me up it was so funny there's a lot of stuff like that and then you get big monster showing up and then so many monsters. It's one of those things where, yeah, it's cool. Like you draw a monster. Great. But then Steve's just like, but how about 500 monsters? And they all look different. It is, it's bananas. It's bananas. There's a double page spread of Hulk and thing versus like thousands of demons. And then the aftermath of that battle thing is full on missing pieces of himself. It is so gnarly. Like the clobbering time, vibe here is so true this book rules if you want a book about like just friends beating up monsters saving some people making some jokes at each other this is it it, it it's just terrific we got to move on to my first pick of the week deadpool issue number five this book is so good if you listen to our conversation with Alyssa about two weeks ago um, you'll know that, you know, we've been talking a lot about this book and like kind of how everything's been playing out for Deadpool, this new, uh, chapter in Deadpool's life. And we see the romance that's kind of been budding between him and Valentine. And I love this issue because we get a little bit more of like revealed about Valentine's motivations and like what they're trying to do here. I don't want to spoil it, but I was very like impressed with this story arc and kind of how 
uh, Alyssa is fleshing out this character and making them a much bigger like part of Deadpool's story than you know just a regular like love interest. Uh, but the other thing too that I wanted to, to hint on is like there's so many like storylines kind of coming to a head here. This is a massive ensemble book. Like, yes, it is a Deadpool book, but there are so many other characters like Doc Ock. We have uh, Lady Deathstrike. We have a bunch of other assassins. We have uh, the main villain of this book, I guess you could say, who is a heroer and her experiment kind of comes to a head. And what we get here is wild. It's like there's a moment where Deadpool, like, I mean, if you read the last issue, we realized that Deadpool essentially gave birth to a symbiote. (laughs) Um, question mark. Uh, and in here, like the way it gets resolved is just ridiculous, but also another symbiote kind of comes into play and Harrow is like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one too. And it, what ends up happening is the symbiote also takes the shape of a wolf. Deadpool names it Renesmi, like for a temporary placeholder. And in this issue, we finally get the name, uh, that Deadpool will be calling their symbiote. I don't want to spoil it, but mm. it was hinted at when we talked to Alyssa Wong. So I'm really happy that we weren't going to have to wait for that name. It is here. Uh, and there's some reasoning behind it, but I love it. Um, this whole issue just gagged me. Like, it was amazing. The, the amount of, like, jokes that are packed into each page is insane. The amount of just, like, clever innuendos and clever, like, just, like, jokes here uh, that either Deadpool spews out or Harrower or even, like, uh, Doc Ock is just amazing uh and speaking of doc ock we also get some closure for his story and we get to learn why doc ock was the original target that deadpool was after if you remember from issue one him and lady deathstrike were both uh hired to essentially kill him to get into this like club of other assassins and it was that was the original mission that set this whole thing off um and continues the story which is very fascinating Deadpool's so good. Like it's, it's just so fun good. and funny and sweet and disgusting. It's so gross. Oh, it's so gross. It's so gross. But like with such a great heart. Oh man. Freaking love it. Uh all right. Uh third pick of the week is Invincible Iron Man number four. This one is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Juan Fregari, colors by Brian Valenza, and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. I mean, look. I've dug the the first three issues, but this is one where it just felt like, like, all right, Jerry just like put the pedal down a little bit. Yes. Like he rolled the windows down. The top is down. He's like, all right. Rolled up his sleeves. Now it, Jerry just... puts on like a third pair of sunglasses. Yeah. He's like, let's go. And it, it just pushes forward. This is the, you know, we're, we're talking, this is the autobiography of Tony Stark, the, the sort of like overarching thing is where the narration throughout it is Tony giving his autobiography and things that are going on. And, and while this is happening, people are, he's being targeted. Friends of his are being targeted. And here we're fully getting who's at the center of it and what they're doing and why. And you, you know, you, you've got that, but Jerry also like pulls in little nods to Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run to the classic Iron Man number 150 with his which is Iron Man versus Doom in Camelot which anybody out there has never read that go on your Marvel Unlimited machine and just it's two parts it's great it's a classic 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 issue and then you know he's pulling from from various places but he's also pulling Jerry's also pulling from other comics he's working on he's he's making his own Duggan verse uh, if you will and he's connecting 
to the X-Men comics. He's pulling in Fei Long, who is a uh, a human who has sort of worked on and experimented on it himself to turn himself into this like peak human thing. The the, the best part of it is like Fei Long is so anti-mutant, but he's so far from a human now that like the, the distinction is is sort of wild. And I think that's obviously kind of the point. Um, and he's he's this nasty anti-mutant villain who now runs Stark Enterprises. And you get this great scene at the New York Stock Exchange where where, where Fei Long is at the, the the Stock Exchange podium. If you've ever seen you know, like a photo of the New York Stock Exchange where the people are ringing the bell, like that happens here. And he's flanked by Nimrod and Dr. Stasis. And then this like what? chibi style Iron Man like character. Mascot. Mascot, yeah. And then Stark is there. There's this great panel where Fei Long is like this page where Fei Long is like, you know, talking about, oh, yeah, I'm going to take Stark and do this and da, 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 you know, pure PR BS. And then this one silent wide panel of Tony Stark with his head cocked, just looking straight at him. And like, it's so good. Juan Fergari just draws this like, I am going to break you. Look. And then we extreme close up. And Tony says, only the bravest try hostile takeovers on Stark companies. And he goes to outline the people who have come before Fei Long, Obadiah Stane, Justin Hammer, Justine Hammer, and, and others. And he's like, they've all ended up dead. I didn't kill them, but this is the path you're going down, bro. He's like, stop this now. And Fei Long is like, whatever, man. You know, like, I'm... it's so good. And you're giving Iron Man this new villain here in such an organic way. It like filters right into all these stories to the point where they have this knockdown drag out fight all across wall street. It is super fun. Uh, all this big chaos and action. And then you get this really great introspective quiet scene with Tony on the edge of space, which is wonderful. And then this line cracked me up so much quote, Krakoa has a bunch of rules and most of its citizens are horny. It's just like not wrong not wrong at all god love it all right last but not least we we kind of are going to sneak this last pick of the week in um because it's something that we've already been talking about before um it is an infinity comic that is now coming out into print um it is it's jeff issue number one um and it is written by kelly thompson with art by guru hidu and look we've praised the infinity comic literally every single time that it's dropped and like, there's not much else to say. Like, go pick up this issue if you haven't read it. If you haven't read it digitally, it's amazing. This is a great way to get into it. But also, if you have read it digitally, it's kind of interesting to see how comics that are of a different format get converted to this print format. And I thought that was really, really fun knowing what it looks like and having read mm. It's Jeff as an Infinity comic over and over again. Like, it's I just recognize these panels, but it's so well done. Yeah, it's... It's great. It's, you know, there's there's a few new stories in here as well. I think it's two new stories. We get some Pet Avenger stuff in here. Yes. It is perfection. Every time I read these stories, they are so sweet, so fun. I love Jeff. Quickly, yes. what is your favorite It's Jeff story? Because I know what mine is, but I'm curious what yours is, if you have one. I love the one where he steals Cap's shield and goes sledding. It's so good. Maybe the pool one, just because I love seeing Guruhiru draw all the superheroes in like lounge pool. Oh, yeah. It's just, 
the, every time I read that, it just brings me joy. Which one is it for you? Oh, it's easily the washing machine one. <laughs> that one with Kate Bishop is just so perfect. It's it's so silly and goofy, but it's like just perfect, right on the money. Um, and if it's not that one, it's the one where he takes a bath, which is just hilarious. Oh yeah, the biting Modoc. <laughs> so uh, I love it's Jeff. Yeah. Please, everybody, go buy it's Jeff so we can keep making more of these and keep bringing Jeff joy to the world. Please. All right, that is it for our picks of the week this week. Now we got to move on to our fabulous fresh floppies. But before we do that, we need to talk about awards. Yeah, last week's award was Space Don't Even Be Dusty Like That. And it came from Monica Rambeau, Photon, issue number four. Uh, Of course, it was a a great one. And it did not take long for us to get a winner. (laughs) It was Ryan Doe's who emailed us on Wednesday morning very early getting up reading them comics and also hit us up on instagram saying quote been loving this book exploring monica rambo's character and her latest adventures like jasmine i always need more moonstone i've especially enjoyed the covers by lucas wernick they have been what ryan would call a ding dang delight and shout out to my local comic book store in omaha nebraska krypton comics always love to spend time there with my kids sifting through back issue bins trying to fill out my simonson thor and marvel team-up runs Loving the show every week. You both get me so hyped for new comics. It's like listening to my friends chat at a local store about their favorite issues. Oh, we also got a tweet by Steve Agnew who said, after reading this kick-ass issue, I am not surprised to see the quote of the week in Photon number four. And then we got an email from Jake Bolton uh, who says, I would like to shout out my local comic shop here in Boise, Idaho. Captain Comics went in looking for the Marvel Anatomy book awesome crew working there i hope they had it it's a great book we love it yeah all right it is time for this week's award name we have we had i think when we started the before we were recording we had nine choices for award names it was a lot this week it was a lot yeah. uh but we narrowed it down to the four that'll be live on uh marvel.com slash insider if you want to claim those marvel insider points but we're going to be giving away the genetically engineered washboard abs award this it's week. It's a good one. It is. We'll say also it is part of a a, a line. It is not the like it's not just a like single sentence that's part of a sentence. So that'll help you as you're, you know, looking for the quote everyone out there because if you find this quote in uh this week's books, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest, or even tag us on Instagram uh with the hashtag Marvel's pull list. Email us at pull list at marvel.com. Uh no matter how you do it, if you are the first, I will reach out and get you a recent digital comic of your choice. Please mark your message as okay to read so we can read it here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out as well. Yes. Also, uh, if you're not the first, you can still score some Marvel Insider points just for listening to the podcast. After you're done listening to the show, make sure to go to marvel.com slash insider and look for the Marvel's pull list quote of the week activity. Um, You'll be asked to identify the quote out of four different choices. You do so correctly and you'll earn 500 Marvel Insider points. Yes, indeedy. All right. Let us get to new comics this week and give out that genetically engineered washboard abs award. To our first book, Avengers Beyond number one, I this was very nearly one of my picks. I had so much fun with this issue. It is it, it's a um, the the next like it's the follow up to um, All Out Avengers, which came which wrapped up I don't know a month or two ago. Um, but 
it really like you don't have to have read all out avengers but that last issue really connects to this one and and also issue number four of all out avengers which they reference in the um editor's notes and stuff here so but this one has got like the beyonder and a really cool design for this just like giant massive celestial type thing um i want to give my uh genetically engineered washboard abs award to two things one greg land drawing she hulk giving a bad guy a german suplex which was so good it looked so good and then for one of the bad guys tiamak pulling thor's hair to pull thor in and then she kicks him at the same time i was like that's some good ass fight choreography right there because like thor's got that beautiful long hair use it against him all right, next up, we have Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, issue number two. And I did not have Captain Carter tie-in on my bingo card for this series at all. I know. But I am obsessed with the fact that we got it here because in this issue, we not only get the continuation of Captain Britain, a.k.a. Betsy Braddock, uh, fighting off against Morgan Le Fay, but also she gets to visit that universe that we we last saw in Jamie McKelvey's uh, Captain Carter series. And... If you remember from that series, you remember that there was a character that Captain Carter was working with, um, and it ends up being a variant of Betsy Braddock. Um, She goes by Lizzie instead of Betsy in that issue. Um, And we get to see how these two connect in those two stories. So because of that, I'm going to give Teeny my genetically engineered washboard abs award because I did not know I needed that. But thank you for that. Yeah. All right. We've got Daredevil number nine this week. And like man they can't catch no breaks i i'm gonna give my genetically engineered washboard abs to a panel where like all the blood will fall out of your face your your mouth will go dry like every you get like that sense of your life just spins around on you because that's what happens to matt in here matt and electra or two people very close to the daredevils there's something that happens with them and that is explained with them where you're like Oh no. Oh no. It is bananas. It's also a really cool gritty looking issue with Manuel Garcia's art, but it's a it's an intense issue. All right, next up we have Planet Hulk Worldbreaker issue number 5 and this is the finale to this uh Planet Hulk Worldbreaker story and it is exactly what you would expect. It's a full on like just war. Um big giant battle fight and one of the things I want to give my genetically engineered washboard abs award to is the brawn of it all because we started with brawn and then we end with brawn kind of really taking a place in this pantheon of hulks amongst like you know she hulk and bruce banner um but the way that like his power or like the visualization of him like calculating you know what to do Mm. and how to like essentially start an earthquake um that is presented here is so well done and because of that I'm going to go ahead and give my award to both the letterer and the artist because they kind of work so well together here. Like there's a clear symbiosis between the two. So then I'm going to go ahead and give my award to both VCs, Joe Caramagna and Manuel Garcia, who is the penciler on this book. Good stuff. All right. Sabretooth and the Exiles number five is up next. It's the final issue of this limited series, which is so good. Another issue I could have picked, but we've picked the series like two or three times out of its five issues. So look, you know, it's good. You know, it's a banger. You know, it's wild. It's vicious. 
we, we get multiversal Victor Creeds in here, or at least multiversal Sabertooths with like bad boy celebrity Creed, Captain America Creed, a savage female Creed. Uh, they're going up against a member of Creed's family who is just wild and brutal. And I don't want to spoil it, but it's like a deep 90s X-Men cut that I'm so happy is here. There's all this vicious, nasty violence throughout it, but there's also funny moments like Orphan Maker quietly saying sus at Nanny at, at one point. I, <laughs> I laughed so hard. It was so good. I love how this is like his like angsty teenage phase. Yeah. And not only is it like represented in his dialogue, but just his body, body language. language. Like oh, Leonard Kirk. He's Come such on. a punk. Yeah, it's great. Um I, there's a lot of places I could give my award. I will I will just say I'm going to give my genetically engineered washboard abs award to the delightful and terrifying Kevin Maguire Justice League homage that wraps up this great series. It's like the final page. The middle of it is one of the most iconic superhero covers of of the 80s and 90s is uh, is is homaged here. But it's Sabretooth and Sabretooth and Sabretooth and Sabretooth and Sabretooth and Sabretooth. And it's like this wild cover. And then at the end, you just, you see Sabretooth and the Exiles will return. And I was just like, fist pump city. Yes. Justice League? Never heard of her. <laughs> Let me take you to a galaxy far, far away with a trio of Star Wars books at this week. First up is Star Wars Return of the Jedi, Jabba's Palace, number one, which is so good. I'm going to give my award to just the first, just to the concept of this. So it gets my genetically engineered washboard abs award because this issue is a story behind the sad little protocol droid that you see like hanging and falling apart at the beginning of return of the Jedi that three PO replaces in the movie. That's what the story is. It's sad. It is dark. It is an excellent story of deception and backstabbing. It is fantastic it is a wild ride i could have easily picked this one if you are at all a star wars fan especially of the classic films you got to get this issue it's really really good then we have star wars high republic number seven uh i'm gonna give my genetically engineered washboard abs award to like the sand dunes of jetta and like the world building around jetta it's all it's pretty gnarly i like seeing it especially in this time period uh speaking of that time period we have star wars the high republic the blade Number four, I have loved this limited series. Porter Engel is is the blade and uh, he's so badass and, and like cool, stoic, scary, while still being like a good guy. Uh, at one point, he's talking to this this mercenary who has killed a bunch of Jedi and he says, you have fought members of my order, but you have never fought me. And I was just like, yeah. And then he goes and he tears them apart. It's so good. But I'm going to give my genetically engineered washboard abs to uh, a great line, which is about the, the people on this planet. And and they say, this is the planet of knives. Only knives will answer. And I'm going to tell you what, there are many knives in this comic. If you're not a Star Wars fan, I know getting into Star Wars comics is it may be tough, but the Star Wars, the High Republic, the Blade, this limited series, terrific. Really, really fun. Next up, we have Strange Academy Finals, issue number five. And I don't want to spoil a whole mm-hmm. lot, but if you thought you knew Doyle's like origin, I will oh. guarantee that you are wrong. Um, and you should pick up this issue because we get that secret origin story here. And it is so, 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 so good. Um, like 
Shout out Scotty Young. You, you get my genetically engineered washboard abs award for that one. All right. We've got Thor number 32 ad this week. I just, I'm going to say this. I need a Doom series written by Torrin Grumbeck. I like, Please. at one point, Torrin's Doom says, quote, I do not need worship. I am Doom. Doom does not need to be a god. And it's just like, yep, 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 yep. Oh, so good. Um, but I also want to give a shout out to Juan Gedeon, the artist in here, just drawing big, thick, meaty men. His Thor is like the width of a bus. His doom with all his armor is so cool and so gnarly looking. Uh, Needhog, the, the giant undead metal dragon that used to eat flesh and now eats souls is so cool looking. And the, 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 the ravens and so much. It's just book looks so freaking cool. So cool. It looks like nothing else on the shelves right now. All right, next up, I'm so excited that this series is back. Venom Lethal Protector 2, issue number one. And I feel like this was a Venom series that kind of flew under the radar. It's very like laid back, not as intense as the stuff that Al Ewing and Rombi were doing uh, over in the Venom book. But this is a book that takes place in the past. So we see a much more street level Venom, a much more like eat your brains type Venom, uh, a little bit more unhinged and like violent. Uh, but it's just such a cool exploration of this world that we never really got to explore as much uh, before, or we just kind of get that continuation of David Michelinie's like work on Venom. And it's such a fun, just like classic comic books issue. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give my genetically engineered washboard abs award to Silver Sable because it's been so long since we've seen her in comics and I love her. All right, we've last book of the week is X-Men Unforgiven number one. This follows the recent Spider-Man Unforgiven comic. There's morally sort of conscious vampires here and what they're going through. Um, there's some really deep character connections, though, like all the way to Uncanny X-Men number 40 from the 1960s, which is gnarly. I'm going to give my genetically engineered washboard abs award to... Just the, the the gnarliness of it all. There's a scene here of uh, the X-Men watching the Forgiven eat. And it, there's a react The reaction panel is so good and so funny. The villain Bobby Quench, which is a great gross villain name. But like when you see his face, you're like, oh, awful. That is disgusting. There's a tongue thing that happens towards the end of this book. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God, no, please. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. That's it for our fabulous Fresh Floppies this week, but we have a handful of collections hitting shelves as well. We have a bunch of epic collections. So if you're a fan of collecting those, there's an Avengers Acts of Vengeance epic collection, Carnage, Web of Carnage, and Daredevil, watch out for Bullseye. All right, over to Infinity Comics over on Marvel Unlimited this week. We've got a whole bunch of issues. There's a uh, new issue of Marvel's Voices, Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Issue That's issue number 46, Alligator Loki, number 22. There's the finale of the noir arc in Spider-Verse Unlimited, and then three new arcs this week, including uh, X-Men Unlimited number 80, which is the Jubilee arc written by Grace Freud, drawn by Alberto Albuquerque, picks up on some characters from Marvel's Voices Pride, which is neat. And then over in Avengers Unlimited, we've got a Namor and the Wasp story by Eve L. Ewing, Luciano Ooh. Vecchio, and Maury Hollowell. It's like... That's a banger right there. Come on, get out of here. Then we've also got Love Unlimited, Gwenpool, Infinity Comic number 43. That's a new arc written by Jeremy Whitley with art by Bale Roseland and Kelly Fitzpatrick. 
Also new to MU this week, we have Avengers Forever issue number 12, Mary Jane and Black Cat issue number one, and X-Men Annual issue number one. All of our picks from three months ago, uh, as well as a handful of other new comics hitting the service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over in the filling it in some gaps in Marvel Unlimited, we get a bunch of issues of the Dazzler series from the 80s, baby. Finally. 35 through 42. I'm so excited for this. Fill in some gaps there. Then a couple of annuals, Hulk and Submariner annual and X-Men and Hulk annual. So cool stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited this week. I love how there was, we completed the full circle of X-Men. We brought it back yeah. again with this. I like, I like it. Yeah. Everybody go read about weird messianic uh, Nate Gray. <laughs> I love him <laughs> so much. <laughs> <sighs> All right. What is our reading club this week? Yes, we are going to be talking to Chris Vasquez from the Washington Post. He's the associate producer for their TikTok account. If you're familiar with the Washington Post's TikTok account, you might recognize him um, and his voice. But we're going to be talking about New Mutants, Labors of Magic, which covers issues number 25 through 28 of the most recent run. Mm -hmm. All right, Jasmine, it is time to go into labor. The labors of magic on our reading club this week with our guest, Chris Vasquez, associate producer on the Washington Post's TikTok team. Hello, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining us. I mean, this is the first time you've been on Polis, but you have been on some of our other podcasts. For people who might not know who you are or what you do, can you tell us a little bit about what an associate producer does on TikTok for the Washington Post? For sure. I basically just kind of take uh, reporting from the Washington Post and repackage it into videos for TikTok. So every day I kind of just comb through articles that we publish and then figure out what's the best way to communicate the most important stories of the day to an audience on that platform. So I'll script, write, film, and edit uh, videos that way. Sure. Also, a big old comic book fan. Yeah. Love you some Marvel, which is delightful and wonderful. How have you, for any of our listeners who don't know, can you explain some of the ways you've incorporated your, your love of comics into the, the Washington Post TikTok feed? Yeah, I think one thing that I've found is that it makes it easy to dive into stories that would otherwise be really scary if I could explain them through references to a fandom that I share with in my audience. And that fandom is Marvel a lot of the time. And so... You know, for instance, yesterday, I actually teased my appearance on this podcast when I, I was doing a TikTok about a new uh, report about climate change that came out from the UN. It's like this big, scary report. But the premise of the sketch is that, um, you know, it's like a class where people are presenting book reports. And in the very first seconds, we see a Chris character walking out right after doing a book report presentation on the labors of magic. So and then right after him, the <laughs> comes up. So little things like that are ways that I kind of like to kind of sneak things in there and make things a little bit more fun for me and for the audience. All right. So since you have a PowerPoint ready for us to go, <laughs> do you want to kick us off here? <laughs> so I actually did write down a lot of notes in like a, this little reporter's notebook. <laughs> yes. While I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to be talking about Ilyana on company time, but to just kind of dive into it. <laughs> the reason why I picked this story is I think it's just a really beautiful story about healing from and taking empowerment from childhood trauma, as well as the relationships between people who have varying degrees or varying types of trauma and their limitations in supporting each other, but their ultimate devotion to supporting each other. And then the story also just does one of my favorite things in comics, which is raise a lot of questions about how we define words like hero and villain and justice. In other words, I get thrown around in these stories a lot. 
Um, the reason why I imprinted on this story particularly and why I've begun imprinting so much on magic in particular is you know, because I think I relate to a lot of the same themes of, you know, having your childhood stolen from you and, you know, using that both as a source of empowerment, but wishing that it didn't happen. I'm approaching this from the lens of growing up gay in an environment that was really not accepting, which is not necessarily the same thing that happened to magic. But, you know, there is overlap there. And so, you know, I've just been thinking about this story a lot. It's become my favorite comic book story arc of all time, I think. And, you know, I talk about it a lot with my friends, with my boyfriend um, unsolicited, and none of them have read it, so I'm very excited to talk about it today with people <laughs> who actually know what I'm talking about and also have thoughts on it. I'm very curious what your boyfriend thinks, because, like, Chris Gathard told us about uh, a time that he just, like, bawled his eyes out to his, like, wife, because, like, he was so overwhelmed with what had just happened in a Spider-Man comic, and, like, she was just like, okay, like, cool, like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but thanks. Like, but... Yeah, it's like that a lot of the time, I think, like, I've never, like, bawled my eyes out to my boyfriend about a comic book, but I do just, like, go on and on and on, and he'll be like, so this is Ilyana, and she's different from Rachel Summers, who you're also talking about, and who's also <laughs> different from this person. Like, he gets them all mixed up, but, you know, he recently read House of X and Powers of Ten with me, which I appreciate, so I'm slowly wow. getting him into it. Okay, well, I, then I gotta ask, how did that go? Because House and Powers <laughs> are intense. They're beautiful and wonderful and, and great, but, like, there's a lot going on in those books. He really liked it. I told him, you know, this is a good time to kind of like hop on. It's like an exciting time to get into X-Men. And so we read it together and he was like, wow, I didn't know that a comic book could raise all these really complex themes about nation building and carcerality and all this stuff that we think about a lot and that we engage in with other media, but not necessarily in comics all the time. So he was really su pleasantly surprised by that. And I was like, this is what I've been talking to you about for years. Yeah, I love that. Uh, you know, magic is is has become over the last probably 10 years or so one of my favorite characters as well um we had on uh leah williams gosh three years ago to something like that yeah it was at the beginning of pandemic because i remember i was in my old apartment and you know talking with her about the original magic limited series from from the 80s and and the the sort of traumas that followed her that um you know i experienced secondhand through my mother and different things and like being able to express that and talk about that and think about that through superhero comics is really a beautiful thing have you read that original magic series chris i read it for the first time a couple weeks ago i have like a new mutants omnibus that i got maybe like a couple months ago and so it's in there and i read it for the first time but i read this arc actually before i read that magic solo and so reading it again with that context has been you know kind of illuminating yeah, I'm kind of curious, like what your experience was the first time you read this, not having that context into play. Um, what did you make of what was going on? So I was kind of familiar vaguely with Ileana's arc because I'd listened to the Cerebro podcast episode about <laughs> Ileana and that kind of got me into the character. And I was like, this is somebody that I want to dig a bit more into. So I kind of had a vague sense of what her deal was. Um, but... You know, when I was able to read this, I think one thing that makes this storyline really unique is that it works so well as a prequel to Dark Web. It works so well as a sequel to that original Magic Solo and a sequel to Claremont's Inferno, which I also haven't read yet. But it also works really well on its own. Like, if you get the gist of who this character is and what makes her tick and what her vaguely what her history is, you could read this on its own with, like, maybe two, three sentences of context and have a really great time. Shout out to Cerebro and our friend Connor over there. 
<laughs> Let's go back and talk about the labors of magic because I want to get into it because as much as it is a story that's coded in like a lot of emotional trauma and like childhood trauma and like dealing with that, it is a superhero story um, where we're following magic kind of going through uh, limbo as her soul sword has been broken um, and having to kind of like go up against Sim, someone who is a major baddie in her history um, and someone who she's had to had had to deal with firsthand, but also like she's in the process of handing the keys to limbo to Madeline Pryor. And like, as much as this is a story about Ileana's like journey, it also is about Madeline Pryor and like Madeline convincing both Wolfsbane and Danny Moonstar that she deserves a second shot at ruling limbo just as much as some of the people who are on the quiet council deserved a second shot. Looking at you, Sinister. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, that, whole group dynamic of, you know, Danny and Wolfsbane and Magic and Maddie is just like a great kind of combo because, you know, I think first of all, it, you see these relationship dynamics between these three new mutants about, you know, Danny and Rain have gone through trauma in their life definitely, but a very different kind than what Ileana has gone through. And, you know, when Danny and Rain are talking to Ileana and saying, hey, are you sure you want to make the Goblin Queen the Queen of Limbo again? Uh, like, you know, they make a lot of sense, but they could, and that you could tell they ultimately care about Liana at the end of the day, but they, reading it, and I think a lot of this actually comes down not just to the way it's written, but the way their facial expressions and their body language are drawn by Rod Reese. I think I read it and I think Danny and Rain are right, but they could be approaching this a lot more sensitively than they are. And... Ilyana, you know, I could also see her point too of like, you know, she hears what Danny and Rain is telling her and she sees it as them just wanting to keep her chained to limbo, to this place where she was traumatized. And so I think that whole group dynamic of them having to kind of navigate their different lived experiences to support each other, but to also, you know, kind of hold each other back from making wrong decisions or questionable decisions is really interesting. And then the Madeline of it all is just like, you know, all these questions about justice and who gets a second chance, like you were saying, Jasmine. And the thing that ultimately convinces Danny that Madeline does deserve a shot at limbo is when Madeline kind of pours her heart out and says, you know, Krakoa is my limbo and here's why, mm -hmm. and here are all the ways that I was wronged. And so it's a really beautiful story about being vulnerable around people with different lived experiences who you know care about you, even if they can't completely relate to you. And it's also a really interesting story about, you know, what, who deserves a second chance and how do we give it to them and when do they deserve it? It raises a lot of interesting questions around that in a different way that I think a lot of superhero comics do. I mean, it's so much of it also is just about empathy and understanding and listening, which is something that is so hard for people to do, you know, like in, in the, the, the day and age that we live in now and the discourse being this and that and everything else. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But like even superheroes that they talk about, it, it's like, we haven't had time to catch a breath. We haven't had time to to like sit back and, and do this or that. It's like when you can take those moments and look at something from someone else's perspective, even if you would disagree with some of the, like the, the things around it, you can, you can maybe start to see what they're going through and try to find a way to come together. And I think that's, that's the beauty of one of the many beauties of this story. I'm glad you brought up Rod's artwork too, uh, Chris, because God, it's so good. There's so much done on these pages that is silent, that is through facial expressions, that is through um, little visual effects. Like when they're in prison, when Maddie has got her arms up and she's like just trying to like deal with things and she's 
got like little swirly uh like anger cloud above her head cracks me up but also it's so clear and so succinct and you you get a sense of how pissed off she is is. yeah it's great um we're kind of dancing around it but i wanted to quickly list off the the credits for this book um it's written by vidya ayala who i'm just gonna say i think this might be like one of their all-time like best oh this is a this is hands down my easily up there is written god absolutely agreed it's so good um, it's penciled by Rod Reese, as we mentioned, uh, with a little bit of help from Jander Sema, uh, who did some of the like flashback stories in some of these issues. Uh, also colored by Rod Reese, as well as Ruth Redman, and inked by Rod Reese, Jan Serma, and lettered by VCs Travis Lanham. Um, one of the things I tried to do for this for this uh, episode was to get Vita on the show to kind of like talk a little bit about their work on this. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't able to make it. But one of the things that I was able to do was to hop on a quick call with Vita and talk to them about these things and some of these ideas behind this book. But one of the things that I found interesting was that this was originally supposed to be a five issue uh, story. And unfortunately, it ended up getting cut down. But that's why we get 10 extra pages in the first issue. And because of those 10 pages, that's why we get some of the backstory from Magic tied into it. According to Vita, they were saying that like, Originally, that wasn't a part of it. It was going to be a very much like a present time book. But because they were granted those pages, it helped tell some of those emotional beats that they wanted to tell and really visualize it. Um, and the other thing I wanted to, to highlight was that like this is called The Labors of Magic. And it's very much a play on the, the labors of Hercules, the 12 labors of Hercules. Um, and that was something really cool to see here. Uh, there's only really one major parallel, and that's when Magic is going against Sim the first time around, um, and she pretty much takes him down by using his own like medicine against him and taking him down from the inside out, uh, similar to Hercules taking out the lion. But the labors of Hercules, the Alice in Wonderland of it all, the Shakespeare of it all, were very much like things that were intentional choices to kind of help deliver a lot of these emotional beats that we see throughout the story. So thought it was really, really cool to get that perspective. I feel like I don't read enough books without pictures in them to pick up on a lot of those illusions, <laughs> but I, but that is something that I think is really interesting too. Like when comics make all these, you know, things we learn in English class, in English class are things that are also at play in comic books that I just don't always pick up on or we don't always pick up on. And so it's just interesting to see those things at play and to just kind of make the argument that this is like a high elevated art form in the same way anything else you pick up and read can be. You know, one of those great things about why it's so important for us at Marvel and comics as a whole to have a very diverse array of creators and editors is because we can pull from different experiences, different knowledge bases, you know, someone who reads, I, I, I'm not a big Billy Shakespeare <laughs> guy, you know, he, he's fine, but it's not my jam, but I know that it's, you know, crucial and important stuff. And when our our writers and our artists and our editors can bring that and and sort of interpret it in these kinds of ways. It just elevates it for me in a way that I would never have really wanted to dig into it. So it's beautiful stuff. Yeah. It's- On that same note, the like the major thing, and this is something that Chris brought up, which I thought was really cool, was the the main Shakespeare of it all. The theme that's kind of present here is like definition of a hero and what it means, like the tragedy of a hero and like how like the death of a hero can be perceived in multiple ways it's not necessarily like the person just dying it could be perceived in so many ways like a soul sword being shattered and having to be rebuilt and you're essentially getting this story where we see iliana being reborn as she heals from her trauma which is just impeccable 
that page. Holy moly. That page just got the like Sailor Moon you know, vibe. Like, Sailor magic I was gonna say yes. magical girl energy from like Sailor Moon and and uh just That was I all Rodri's. Like so he wanted to make sure that that was in there. That was his one thing that he was like, if I can do anything, it's that in this book. And they managed to do it. This is the page where she gets like the gold armor. Mm. Yes. So cool. <laughs> yep. Towards so the cool. Yeah. You know, it, we, we give a lot of love to, to Rod here, but I want to make sure we give flowers to Jandrasema because, you know, if you especially now, Chris, I'm sure you, having the original series in your mind, you know, we have the we have John Buscema artwork on that original Magic Limited series. And so John is one of the greatest of all time. But Jan does such a great job of sort of flowing into mm-hmm. that style of giving a feeling of connectivity to those original stories, to seeing what Magic went through in that time period when she was seven years old, when she was little and going through all this stuff with Belasco and, and you know, uh, the, the cat and, and Aurora and everybody. So, like, the way that they cast Jan and Jan does the artwork for those flashbacks is such brilliant way to connect everything and i you know if you put all these stories together it would you know like i think we need to put out a trade (laughs) i'm going to tell somebody put out a trade of the labors of magic and the original magic limited series that needs to be out there for sure yeah and i'm just you know so glad that we got those flashback stories too with that extra page time that they got because you know the way that it all kind of comes together at the end where you know we get these not flashbacks but little like storybook pages interspersed throughout this arc of like you know like the whole saga kind of playing out through the perspective of like a goblin as Ilyana and all these other characters as the other players in the book. And the way it all comes together in the end is that, you know, Wanda, or sorry, Freudian slip to talk about Wanda, but uh, Ilyana (laughs) uh, like helps this wizard in limbo who then overhears future Ilyana or our Ilyana, you know, talking about this book that she read as a kid that helped free herself from limbo. That book then gets written and little Ilyana finds it. And I think a lot of that, you know, it comes together through those flashbacks and through those storybook pages that are there because of that extra page time. And I think the ultimate message of that is that in this kind of weird, convoluted X-Men time travel logic way, Ilyana saves herself and she frees herself and heals herself from that trauma, which is a really empowering thing. And I think that's another constant in this theme throughout this arc is that, you know, you could wish that this didn't happen all you want, but you can't ever wish away your trauma. You have to find a way to live with it. And Ilyana finds a way to you know, use it as a source of empowerment even. And there's one line from future Ileana that we get. It's, no matter what happens to us, we take it and use it to survive. And that one sentence from older Ileana's journal kind of sums up why I love Ileana as a character and why I've imprinted on her so much. And, you know, this story in large part kind of taught me to do that with my own trauma, not to just kind of sit there and wallow in it, but that it can be this thing that I could say, wow, I'm really proud of myself for having gotten through that. And even though I wish it didn't happen, it did. And... I like I'm still here. So that's something that Oyana does all the time that I'm really impressed by and that I take a lot of inspiration from. You brought up the like the journal entry and I thought that was a really great way for them to essentially like the team to essentially like just say it out loud and be like, this is something that we've dealt with. This is like make it explicit, make subtext explicit or just make it the text. But one of the things, too, that I thought was fascinating was the inclusion of Colossus towards the end of this arc, only because like. The history that Ileana and Colossus have, uh, especially more recently, is like her pretty much giving him the powers of the juggernaut and then being like, see, this is what happens when like a demon takes over. And like now you also have the same traumatic experiences as me or similar traumatic experiences as me. Now you can understand who I am as a person. And I'm like, that's a 
thing to do to your brother, but also like to see them kind of talk about it here um, and talk, try to not necessarily heal it, but like, I mean, there's also stuff going on with Colossus right now, but like to talk about it and say a lot of this stuff explicitly was such a cool way to tie that all together. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. That was some continuity I needed filling in on because I didn't know what the beef was between Piotr and Ilyana, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they've gone through some things and that's going to happen. Sometimes you just have a demon possess your brother and you move on. Yeah, it's the way it goes. But I think, you know, the idea that, you know, they wish for someone to help and they, they need a hero and like that he is pulled into that because, of course, that's that's who at their heart Liliana wants and believes and is is so close to and and he comes through and like the, the moments where they're like crying and they're hugging and he's, he gets to see his his little oh. snowflake again i just god you destroy me so good oh. and that one moment is you know what i read as Ilyana's kind of turning point in the way that she views her relationship to colossus because you know when colossus first comes to limbo our present Ilyana is kind of like not about it she's like i don't really want to see this person but he's here so we have to deal with it and then seeing colossus you know kind of comfort little iliana in limbo um and then this is again a credit to rod reese's artwork you see our iliana kind of smiling in the background and taking comfort in that so that by the time we get to that scene at the end of the arc where iliana and piotr have you know kind of this like moment of communion of like drinking coffee together on krakoa it doesn't come out of nowhere. You kind of see this transition that happens in a really limited amount of page time that happens really effectively. And the fact that that happens because Ilyana feels so protective and attached to her inner child or her literal time-displaced child self is like a really, I think, powerful thing. We're saying a lot of things, and I know we have listeners who are not huge X-Men fans or may have gaps in their knowledge of this. So like Limbo is this really weird place where time is like a piece of paper that folds over and over and over and over and over on itself. So like you could be here and time could move and it could only mean like two seconds for you. It could mean weeks for someone else. You could find yourself meeting yours. There's all kinds of weird stuff, which allows us to do a lot of interesting stories and, and sort of take things in different directions. And I think that uh, Vita and the team do such great world building with those tools here you know, we get to see multiple versions of Ilyana. We get to see how the the sort of like time flows around and on itself and, and sort of that everything connects together. Um, the stuff with the older Ilyana, I could like if you had given me a breakout of six months of a limited series starring older Ilyana and Warlock and their battle with the demons, I would have been like, yes, give that to me right now. Oh, when I was talking to Vita about this, that was the first thing they said. They were like, I could have made like each one of these like moments in the arc, like these different locations into its own like six issue mini. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, we were robbed. I want that so bad. There's actually like a line in the entry from future Ilyana where she's like, well, now that my demons have been defeated, it's time for me to like rebuild my life, I guess. And so I literally have written in my notes, beg for this miniseries. So now that I'm here on the official (laughs) Marvel Comics podcast asking for a Marvel comic book about this. I'll send it up to Sarah Brunstead, who's the editor on New Mutants. I'm sure Sarah would also be like, yes. She's probably asked Tavita for the plot for that just just for fun like what would you have done (sighs) uh one last thing i wanted to talk about um for sure make sure we hit is the the big bad of this whole thing like 
Uh, one of the things that, you know, when we first get introduced to who the big bad is, they're very much like kept in the shadows. So it's very, it's very much left up to speculation on who it can be. I'm curious what you guys thought the first time you read this, because for me, it read as Belasco, who is like the big, big bad of her previous trauma. Um, but it ends up not being him. I also kind of thought when, you know, when I first started this arc, I was like, oh, it's going to be Belasco. And then at the end, when we realize, you know, spoilers for Labors of Magic, it's actually like an alternate version of Ileana where she stays in limbo instead of going back to Earth. Um, you know, I think that's actually a really powerful metaphor for the big bad of this arc is this alternate version of herself that never learned to cope with her trauma in a healthy way. That actually kind of like a person that let their trauma kind of consume them and you know, kind of corrupt them. Um, whereas Ileana kind of used it as the source of empowerment and has found ways to heal and not necessarily erase it or necessarily move on because it's maybe impossible to do that, but found ways to just live with it in a way that, you know, is relatively healthy. And so I think that was a really interesting thing. And that is a big part of what made that, you know, Sailor Moon-esque scene really hit home for me because, you know, like Ileana defeats this alternate version of herself and gets back a part of herself that she felt was stolen from her, you know, this ability to just cope with her trauma. And so to me, that like gold armor that she wears now is like this ultimate symbol of healing. And it's because of who the big bad of this arc was. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we can be the heroes of our own stories. We can be our greatest villains. You know, we can learn from ourselves. We can fight ourselves. It's, it, you know, finding a lot of really, it, it is a, it's a story about therapy. You know, it's a story about finding our, you know, what we need to get through with our lives. Beautifully done with giant friggin' swords and cool monsters and big set pieces and great dialogue. I don't think we give enough, we, we've given enough credit to just the, the banter, the comedy, the, like the little bits and pieces. There's a scene where Maddie, Wolfsbane and Danny are all like locked up in prison, like side by side. And it is probably one of the funniest moments in the whole book. And it's, 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 it's a credit to both Vita's like writing, but also Rod's like just body acting and design. And I'm like, you guys are just so good at this. Like you guys work so well together. But the, the other thing I was going to mention too, is like going back to like the whole, overarching like story of it all and with Ileana kind of handing the keys to Maddie like it is essentially like I mean we keep saying we keep saying her childhood trauma but her childhood trauma is pretty much just connected to Limbo so this entire story is about her letting Limbo go and so like not only do we see her rebuild herself but also like handing the keys over and like leaving it behind and there's a moment where I think Ileana and I think you kind of hinted at it Chris where Ileana talks about Danny and Wolfsbane, and, and she's just like, I don't understand why you guys want me to hold on to something that, like, stole seven years of my life and is, like, just wrapped up in all this trauma. Like, why? Like, let me get rid of this. And that one stuck out to me the most. Yeah, I found it to be sort of also Ileana's feelings about the the possibilities that Krakoa brings, right? Because up until now, she's not been able to do this. And Having the support systems, her family around, all of her New Mutants family, her X-Men family, having the the children that she's trying to train and, and, and keep safe and all these different things has allowed her to step back and say, I can move on from these other things. There's a safety now. There's something that and I can do this. So that promise of Krakoa, that thing that we've talked about since House of X and Powers of Ten and what that could mean for mutants becomes manifest in this story for magic, which is 
a beautiful thing because, of course, everything else is totally awful for most mutants 90% of the time, even on Krakoa, because they just like to torture us. So letting Magic actually get this big win is incredible. And the idea of, you know, just that promise of Krakoa not necessarily being for everybody and, you know, giving Maddie this big win too is really powerful. And, you know, we've been touching on this throughout, but, you know, this idea of like the interconnectedness of trauma and place is something I really resonated with because, you know, when, like I mentioned, I grew up gay in an environment that was really not accepting. And the place that I grew up, even though a lot of relationships have been repaired at this point, is still a painful place for me to be. And so the idea of a place being your limbo is really interesting to me, especially the idea of a place that's supposed to be this paradise for you and this comfort and sanctuary for you. So I really related to that aspect of Madeline's whole journey through this arc a lot. And, you know, after some complications in Dark Web, she finally has, you know, this (laughs) position where, like, she has this place where she could rule over, where she's, like, she feels like herself. She is acknowledged as somebody who just kind of went through it and is now kind of thriving. Like, I really am happy for her and I'm glad that you know this is something that was set up in this arc and came to fruition really well I love that Maddie's just like when she's talking about Krakoa and like the freedom that it promises she's pretty much just like "Mm, it's kind of giving animal farm like it's giving like (laughs) some people are more equal than others she ain't wrong no she's not wrong which is something the Krakoa era does so well is just like raise these questions about like what does it mean to build a nation what does it mean to be a part of a nation who gets to be a part of it and to what degree you know, this is something that seeps into so many X-Men stories now that I've just had such a blast reading and engaging with those questions. Yeah. You know, reading this, I was just thinking, like, to look through Maddie's eyes, if you walk through Krakoa and you just see Sinister there, like, laughing it up, you're looking at your abuser having their best life and you are powerless against it. it it's an awful, awful feeling. And so, yeah, this is, it is a good, a good thing for her. I like to imagine Maddie still ruling Limbo during Sins of Sinister and just being like, I told you, I told you this would happen. Yes. Well, Chris, this was amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, real quick, before we let you go, where can people find you? People can find me at by Chris Vasquez, B-Y Chris V-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z on most social media and at Washington Post on TikTok. Oh, sorry. There's a fire alarm in the building. Breaking news at the Washington Post. Gotta go. Chris, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Big thanks once again to Chris Vasquez from the Washington Post. Um, Everything is fine. Everything's fine. Everybody's fine. (laughs) Chris is fine. We're sure. I'm assuming. So, uh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's great. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Keep reading those awesome comics and keep us posted on, um, on, on new characters, new things you're digging. And if you get your boyfriend to check out any other Marvel books, let us know. Yes. I just want, like, that TikTok account. Please. Like, I want your boyfriend's reactions to the books that you're reading, that you make him read. Yes, yeah, I like it. All right, that's it for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pullist was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pullist Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us at pullist at marvel.com. You can also use the hashtag Marvel's Pullist over on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and make sure just to mark all of your messages okay to read. Make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and maybe tell a friend. Yeah. For more information and full quote of the week contest rules, go to marvel.com slash pull list quote rules. Terms and conditions apply open to U.S. residents 18 and up. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only. Terms apply. 
Visit marvel.com insider to join or sign in to answer Marvel's pull list quote of the week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.